Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armin Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and we're here today with the one and only Justin Welsh, the LinkedIn master, the head of his own consulting business, and previously the head of sales over at Patient Pop. Nick, why should people listen? Well, today's episode is all about deal velocity. So if you want to close your deals faster, you got to listen to Justin. Three, two, one, faster. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Did you know that 60% of proposals are viewed on a mobile device, which means if you're sending a tech stock or a slide deck, the formatting is going to look really ugly and you're going to make a bad impression. Luckily, our friends at Quiller are here to help. Quiller pages are built on the web, which means they're mobile responsive and they actually look good on a cell phone. And Quiller is having an offer right now to upgrade your proposal from an ugly tech stock to a Quiller page for free. So you can see what your boring proposal looks like as a beautiful Quiller page. There is a link in the show notes to take advantage of the offer. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. This actionable tactic on selling to power is sponsored by SalesLoft. Don't start from zero when a champion introduces you to power. Explain the three to four priorities you learn from the champion, but then ask them to validate what's really important to them or what we missed. And we partnered with SalesLoft to give you a whole bunch of talk tracks on selling to power. The link is in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. All right, Justin, welcome to the show. You know we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Sure. Um, My first actionable takeaway is to use what I call like five-level discovery to get deeper insights in during your sales process. And this really comes from being on the receiving end of a lot of discovery. Since I went out on my own 14 months ago, I'm on a ton of sales calls and discovery is a weak point for most salespeople. And they miss a lot of nuance that they can use inside of the sales call. So I'll give you a quick example. For, for me, it's all about understanding technical pain. So when you hear someone say something that's a technical challenge, that is the cue to begin digging in. So that's L1, technical pain. L2 is really the historical pain or gain where it's like, okay, interesting. What have you done in the past to try and address that challenge? How did it work? Did it work? If it didn't, why not? You're starting to peel the onion back a little bit more. The next level is financial pain and gain 
right? So trying to understand if we could eliminate that challenge, what does that mean for your business in terms of revenue? Or if we could install something new because we recognize there's opportunity cost for not doing something, what might that mean revenue-wise for you or your business? That's sort of the next L3. And then L4 is really personal pain or gain. So it's really trying to understand how high of a priority it is for that very specific person that you're talking to. There might be multiple call points at an account. How urgent or how high of a priority is it to that specific person? And they'll generally give you one of three answers. Like they want to move right away. And if they want to move right away, you want to understand, is there anything that might get in their way and change that priority? They might say it's a specific date in the future. And if so, you want to dig in and understand why that date's important, or they might be completely nonspecific. And in that case, it gives you an opportunity to really understand, is it truly urgent and is it truly a priority for them? So that's sort of one thing that I see people miss a lot. So that would be tip number one. Oh man, we could have a whole show based on that. Let's get number two, Justin. Sure. Tip number two is really just using an upfront contract to shorten the sale. And this is probably the thing I spend the most time when I'm coaching reps is just their, almost their unwillingness to use it. And for me, the speed or velocity of SMB SaaS, which I come from, is all about getting next steps. And you don't get next steps at the end of a sales call. You get next steps in the beginning of a sales call. That is the whole purpose. So generally, I would say something like, hey, by the end of this call, I'd like you to be in a position where you're either interested and we plan a logical next step like a second meeting or you're completely not interested. You tell me that candidly and we avoid wasting each other's time. Is that fair? Most of the time, educated buyers, even uneducated buyers will say, yeah, I don't want to waste your time and I don't want you to waste mine. You've got an agreement for some sort of next step at the end of the call, and then you revisit the upfront contract at the end of the call, you hold them accountable to it. If it's a no, you let them go. If it's a yes, great. We agreed to a next step. Let's get that. Awesome. What's the last one, Justin? Round us out. Yeah, the last one is is one that I've recently, you know, really started getting more used to, especially through some of the guys on LinkedIn, like Josh Braun, who talk about it a lot, which is using mirroring to really unpack true objections. And mirroring, I believe, is from that Chris Voss book, Never Split the Difference. And it's really just sort of spitting back to them the last thing that you heard, raising the tone of your voice a little bit to formulate it as a question. So, you know, if someone would say like, hey, Justin, I don't think that that pricing is going to work for us. You would just say, that pricing isn't going to work for you. And then you just be quiet because most of the time it's human nature to try and add additional context to what you meant. And what you're hoping to do is really uncover some additional information that you can use to overcome the objection or make sure that you actually have true clarity around what their real objection is. So it's five-level discovery to get deeper insights. It's upfront contract to shorten the sales cycle and it's mirroring to unpack true objections. Those would be my three tips. I'm a big fan of the upfront contract. I'm also a big fan of structured discovery. You need those things when you have a super fast deal cycle. So other than those two things, are there other things that you're doing in your deal cycles to maximize velocity? One of them is really generating what I call existential pain. What I mean by that is in SMB, it's an emotional buy. It's fast, right? You're buying a lot of times on emotion and people buy quickly when they feel this dreadful pain. And so I use this model to sort of suss that pain out in a really good way called the pastor model. And it's originally a copywriting model by a guy named Ray Edwards. And he used it to write long form copy. And I took a look at this model and thought, Long form copy has a purpose. You're supposed to start reading it. And by the time you're done, 
you're supposed to have gone through a bunch of different emotions that make you want to purchase something. That, that's the whole point of long form copy. So I translated it into a sales methodology called, called Pastor. And here's what it stands for. P is pain. So you uncover pain or you plant pain, right? If they don't know they have pain, you, you ask enough questions to where you, th- you believe you can plant pain. And that might sound like trickery and it can be an SMB SaaS. The next thing is A, which is amplification. This is the speed part, right? You got to amplify it. You got to make it existential. You got to really, you got to really make them feeling dreadful, right? If they don't make a change, there should be a significant negative future. Like they should be thinking about this negative future. Once you've done that, that's the huge tactic for really moving the deal quickly. And then it's on to S, which is telling a story. How do you actually solve that dreadful pain? T is transformation. Let me show you somebody else who was just like you that went through my story and came off the other end as transformed. O is offer. Here's the packages that we have. You make a recommendation. R is response. You ask for them to move forward. It's very simple, but it's a really good rigid structure for moving deals quickly. Justin, I'm curious about this plant and amplify thing that you're talking about, because that's somewhere that I've really struggled as a sales rep before, where I don't want to be all doom and gloom. And sometimes I have... trouble being like, oh, you just told me this challenge. Like That's probably going to mean your world's going to be horrible in a week or a month. So how do you artfully plant and then amplify the pain that you know exists for your prospect? Let me give you an example of an actual client that I'm an advisor to. I'm an advisor to um, a company called Bite Size, and they um, do one second response. To, so when someone comes to your website, they fill out an inquiry, a form, you know, get a demo. And in one second, you get a text message to your phone. Instead of being like, hey, I got to wait for the MDR, LDR, SDR to like get the email and then respond back. It's like very customizable. It's very quick, right? And so like you can pitch that. You can say like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. VP of sales, what would it mean to respond to your leads faster, right? Like that's a fine pitch. And I think most talented VPs of sales recognize that it's important to get back to your leads. But like, hey, how many leads do you guys get every month? Oh, 300? Cool. How many of those never end up on your calendar? About 50%. So 150 leads that, that come through your, your lead form end up not on your calendar. Is that correct? Got it. And you guys pay for those leads, right? There's cost per click for those? Cool. So those 150 are generally what we would consider. Is it fair to say that those are wasted? Understood. Got it. And when you get leads and you get them on the calendar, how often do they close? Oh, they close at 25%. Great. So if we can get 150 more leads at 25%, we're looking at roughly 30 new wins for your business. Is that right? Cool. We probably won't get all 150 of those, but it sounds like there's a massive uh, opportunity for improvement here. But before we get into that, have you learned about how GDPR is affecting inbox rates? Have you learned about how email uh, carriers like Hey and Superhuman are making it even harder to get in your inbox? Before I tell you about bite size and how that works, can you tell me a little bit about how you're aiming your team or arming your team to deal with hay, to deal with superhuman, to deal with GDPR, to deal with the, the, the toughness of getting into people's inbox. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Like mostly they probably don't know about those things and I'm slamming them with sort of this repetitive, like fear-based stuff. And people might think that's really shitty and I can appreciate that, but it's true. <laughs> Like things are changing and it's my job to let my prospect know how things are changing and to really tell them what could happen to their business if they don't make a change. And so that's, that to me is, is, is amplification. And so knowing that we're optimizing for speed when you're talking about SMB sales, at what point are you presenting price and trying to get them to acknowledge that there's value here and get them to make a decision? Is that on the first call, the second call, the 10th call? What are you doing there? 
for my teams, it's always been the first call. I come from a place where, you know, when I joined Patient Pop as the VP of sales in 2015, they had one salesperson and their average sales cycle was 21 days. By the time I left, it was eight and a half. So we had, you know, nearly cut that by 66%, if my math is, is correct. To me, I want to ask on the first call. If I think that I've uncovered enough challenges, if I get agreement from the customer that they think that we can solve this challenge, which is where the upfront contract comes in, you say, hey, uh, you know, at the beginning of the conversation, we agreed that there would either be, you know, you would get this, you would think this product was valuable, you would think it solves your challenges or, or, it, or it doesn't. How are you feeling right now? Like, are we leaning towards solving your challenges here? Or is this just not the right, the right fit for you? If they say, hey, I definitely think there's a good fit here. You know, I'm leaning towards the fact that there's a good fit here. I always get into pricing right away. I like to beat my customer to the pricing. I don't like to feel like I'm hiding pricing or they have to ask. And this, this is applicable in SMB and I don't know how applicable it is in enterprise, but I'll say like, hey, listen, I think it would probably make sense for us to go into two things. Why don't we walk through how much this costs? Because you're probably wondering. And then why don't we talk about what a really good implementation looks like? And pricing to me is an important conversation because I too often see reps say, we have these three packages. What do you think? It's like, what do you mean? What do you, what do I think? You're the expert. What should I be buying here? Right? As salespeople, it's our job to guide people to the right package, even when it's not the most expensive one. So that's where the honesty, the integrity, the solution selling, the consultancy comes in. So I would always say, Hey, we've got this package, this package, and this package. Would you mind if I made a recommendation? Customers always say, no, go ahead. And I would say, I would recommend this middle package, right? And the reason that I would recommend it is because of X, Y, and Z. You do not need this most expensive one. If you want to buy it, I'll sell it to you. But trust me, you do not need it. And if you can't afford this middle package or it's not in budget, I think we can both agree that this bottom package will still suffice and meet your needs. Would you guys like to move forward? Here's what implementation looks like. So Justin, I'm a huge fan of this whole honesty, transparency, consultancy that you're talking about. And I want to stick on pricing for a little bit, but I'm wondering if you go back to the discovery call, like the middle of that discovery call, when else are you using like the disarmingly blunt transparency, being very real and very honest? Is that a a tool you use frequently? I do, but I ask permission to be candid. And I found that if you're talking to me about your business, Nick, and, and I just said something really blunt, right? It can, be, it can be alarming. It can be sharp, like a sharp tool, right? But if I ask you permission to be blunt, your general response is you, like, if I said, hey, Nick, you know, I'm taking a look at your business and I see an issue. Could, could I just be really candid with you about what it is? You're like, yeah, Totally. It's more, it's more, it's better than me saying like, you've got this really big issue and it's X and you're like, whoa, hold on, hold on sales guy. I just met, you know, 15 minutes ago. So oftentimes I just simply ask for permission to be candid and I'll say like, Hey, you know, Dr. Smith, you know, I've been taking a look at your website and would you mind if I just shared something really candidly and openly? I want to make sure that we're, we're comfortable with that. They'll generally say, sure. And I'll say, listen, it looks like what you bought. They, they kind of fleeced you here. Like if you open up the hood here on this website, I can put it through this tool and it's clearly not built well. And I just wanted to point that out to you, but I wanted to do it in a way where, where you felt comfortable. Do you feel like, you, you know, after me showing you this, do you, do you agree with that? Most of the time they'd be like, yeah, yeah, I really got taken advantage of. It's like, let me show you a, an easy way to move forward with our company so that you don't get taken advantage of, right? Let me, let me walk you through how we're going to do that for you. And so for me, it's just permission to be candid. So Justin, I think this discovery thing is going to weave in again and again and everything that we talk about here. But one of the things that I'm really curious about 
I mean, you literally cut the deal cycle, the deal length into a third of what it was when you started at Patient Pop. And I think discovery was a big part of that, but I bet there were other things in addition to that that you were coaching the team and putting into play. And so I'm wondering if anything else comes to mind. We had sort of a mantra at Patient Pop where, you know, we each each AE had a lot of opportunities. And so I didn't always want them to be holding on to opportunities that spanned an incredible amount of time. And other sales leaders would be like, hey, you got to work this deal until it gets done. And I can appreciate that, right? But when we ran the data, we saw a correlation between sales cycle length and churn, right? Those customers that are so hard to win, that are so against spending the same amount of money that all of our other customers are spending very quickly are generally those that churn. So oftentimes what I would do is ask folks, you know, if the deal went longer than 10 days or 12 days to push it on out of their pipeline and to focus on the ones that are clear and crisp and want to make a decision because that kept my reps really focused on the customers that were best for our business versus spending a lot of their time actually chasing these longer cycle deals that ultimately either churn pre-launch or churn within this first six months. And they got their commission clawed back and I had unhappy salespeople and I had an unhappy boss because churn went up. So that was like something that, that comes to mind. I think maybe one other thing that comes to mind is just being really, really well educated on our competitive space. And I know that sounds like very cliche, like we should all be educated on our competitors, but truly knowing as much about your competitors as you know about your own product allows you to be an expert. In an SMB SaaS, especially with an uneducated buyer making an emotional decision, expertise is often the thing that pushes the deal over the edge. If you get on a call and you're making an emotional buy and it's not that expensive and the guy or gal that you're talking to is clearly an expert, knows everything about the industry, everything about your business, everything about their product, everything about every other product that you've ever looked at, like you make that decision often and quickly when you have trust and confidence. And my guess is when you're at Patient Pop, you're not always up against a competitor. And so sometimes you, you don't want to bring it up, right? You don't want to, to warrant somebody to start looking. And so do you have a perspective or a philosophy on how you suss out competition? And then if you proactively mention it at all? So I would often just ask like, hey, sounds like marketing your practice is top of mind for you right now. I can't imagine that we're the only people that you're talking to. Who else are you guys looking at? I'd love to, to learn more. Like, again, like, most of the time, if you've established expertise, they will share that with you. You have to earn that, right? I think if you're a really bad salesperson and you're going through a really poor demo and you're like, tell me who else you guys are looking at. They're like, ah, no, that's all right. But if I just gave a 45 minute, and this will sound arrogant, it's not intended to at all, but I'll use a word. Like if you just give a 45 minute masterclass in like online marketing to a physician, you're like, hey, by the way, like that's everything I know about this space. Like you're probably looking at some other folks. Who are you looking at? I'd love to, love to help you make a decision even if it's not us. Like you have to earn that. And so I would like to ask those things. And if they gave me the competition, I would give a candid, honest breakdown. Here's where that platform is really strong. Here's where I think they're really weak. Here's how I think it compares to our platform. If your goal is X, I would recommend us. If your goal is Y, I would recommend them. I think they do a better job at that. Like being honest to me always, always gave me a leg up in, in the deal. Justin, I'm, I'm curious because this is something that my very first boss and my first sales job really hammered. Like we literally did competitive Intel sessions every single week. And 
I had no idea how to actually understand my competitors. Like I thought I could go poke around their website, but I'm curious for the new reps listening to this show that want to get a good grasp on their competitors, but not spend 15 hours reading their 10 Ks and browsing every single page on the sitemap. What are the things that they should be looking for so that they can have more educated conversations with buyers about the competition? Yeah. I think it's such a funny question just to be honest, right? Like here's why I think it's funny. I've heard reps be like, my company doesn't have X and I want to learn it. How do I do it? It's like, don't you go to YouTube every day and YouTube stuff? Like when things are personal or interesting to you, you want to learn how to build a shelf. You want to learn how to change the oil in your car. You want to learn how to cook a, a recipe. Everyone is so good at going to YouTube and Google and all these you know, resources we have at our, our fingertips. But the minute something's not immediately in front of their face on a company LMS, they're like, hey, I can't find the answer. It's like, the answer is easy. Treat your job like you would treat something interesting that you're going to do in your spare time. And that's the true answer. Like proactive learners, proactive educators will always be ahead of those who don't. The other thing that we tend to run into with small deal cycles is you might be talking to the DM and you know this person's the DM, but they're not ready to make a decision on that call, or at least that's what they're motioning to you. And what it sounds like is like, I got to review this with my team internally. I have to noodle over this. Could you send me a PDF of all the things that you shared with me? And oftentimes those people are going to buy, but they're going to buy in two or three weeks, or they're just lying to you and they're going to give you a no. And so how do you figure out the truth quicker and then make people to make a decision now versus in three weeks? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of different tactics, right? Like I, I would usually throw it back and say like, cool, I can appreciate that. I have a wife. We make decisions as a family. And it sounds like you have a team and you make decisions as a team. Can I ask you something? Do you mind if I just ask you a quick question? Yeah, sure. Hey, if you didn't have a team and you were buying this, would you buy it? And like, I just want to know what they're going to say. If they say, yeah, I'd buy it. I would just say, oh, cool. I mean, you're the decision maker, right? We, we established that in the beginning of the call. If you love it, and you want to buy it, why don't we get started today, right? We can start solving X problem that you talked about. We can start solving Y challenge that you were talking about. We can start getting the Z revenue that we discussed. Like that, that would be one way. Or I use a rule of two where I ask that question and then they give me the answer. And I just say, yeah, you know, the reason that I ask is usually when someone tells me they want to talk it over with their team, it means one of two things. Either they're not truly interested or blah, 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 whatever else. And they either have to agree with one of those things. Yes, it's because I'm actually not that interested. Great, out of my pipeline. Or they say, no, it's actually because of that other thing that you mentioned. Cool, at least you understand that, right? Or they say something different. Well, actually, no, it's because A. And now you have the real objection right? And so you can start working on that objection, peeling the onion back, trying to get through it. Justin, one thing you just mentioned was this thing called a, a rule of two. And I'm assuming that's somewhat related to a play that you're using. What is a rule of two? Yeah. Rule of two is when you get an objection, you say, typically when I hear something like that, it means one of two things, A or B. And it kind of forces them into a box. It's either A or B. The most common thing is it's neither of those things. And they say, well, it's not A and it's not B, it's actually C. And what you've done is flushed out the true objection. Instead of saying, oh, what do you mean by that? That's almost a lazier question because you're just like, oh, take me right to the answer. You're like at least making it look like you're making an effort. And those could plausibly be their response. But in reality, again, what you were talking about when you just shut up uh, with the mirroring piece, you're actually giving them an opportunity, human nature, to provide more clarification and context around what they just said. 
Sure. Rule of two is, a, is it can be used as a replacement for mirroring. There's so many different objection techniques that you can use. I, I've always liked rule of two. I'll kind of give you an example. Someone says like, oh, this is too expensive. And you say, hey, I get it. Usually when I hear it's too expensive, it's that they're, they're actually not ready to make a commitment or they've been burned in the past. And so they're sort of hesitant to pull the trigger. And they might be like, actually, it's neither of those things. We're in doing a Salesforce installation. And right now that's top priority for us. And it's like, oh, okay cool. It's really good that I just figured that out because now I can push this deal, you know, it's close date a month down and not irritate my manager by saying it's going to come in on Monday. And so that's just sort of like an example of rule two, but it's another tool in your toolkit. So Justin, I think you've talked about a number of different plays and, you know, Nick and I have sold a lot of, a lot of different companies. And so we can figure out how to nestle each of these things in, but oftentimes we have new reps on the calls where they don't know how to run a discovery call beginning to end. And so they try to jam in an upfront contract. Maybe they try to use the rule of two somewhere and it it all just ends up becoming a really inorganic conversation. And so how do you think about documenting your plays as a new rep and figuring out like what questions I should be asking where? Are you using scripts? Are you using general buckets? Like how do we actually learn how to do proper discovery? Yeah, we start with scripts, right? I'm, I'm actually a fan of scripts and people are like, oh, it takes away the creativity. It's like, cool, get as creative as hell once you're awesome at this, right? Like more power to you. But in the beginning, like everyone needs to understand the process. And so for me, like I always built a deck that you could literally read and hopefully make a sale, right? It even had like, it's green means this is a customer question. Blue means, you know, this is something that you should dive deeper into. Red means you're showing your screen, you're pointing at this thing. Like we, we, we got really granular. And when people started to understand those things, we turned it into an if this, then that chart, right? So it's like, here's how the call starts. We go down this path. Well, if this happens, we're going to go down here. If this happens, we're going to go down here. And we basically built out the framework for navigating a challenging demonstration. And so it starts with scripting, and then we would move it into a framework. All right, Justin, we've hit it all. We hit everything in discovery, the agenda, the disco, driving next steps, competitors. But we haven't talked about some of the bad habits that we got to break. And so if there was one bad habit that every rep needed to break today to be better, what would that be? Stop showing every feature of your product during the demonstration. Only show things that you learned about in discovery. Anything you want to plug with the audience before we jump off? I would say, you know, people can visit me at the official justin.com. And I also have a, a small course about how to grow your audience on LinkedIn. And that is at the LinkedIn playbook.com. All right, guys. And Justin's being a little bit too humble here. Please go follow him on LinkedIn. He has a huge following. A lot of what Nick and I do is really based on some of the things that he talks about. And hang on for a 60 second recap email coming up soon. Cheers. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. 
every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from the episode with Justin Welsh include, number one, plant pain early on. If your customer does not understand what you do, make sure you plant some early examples using extreme industry expertise. Number two, use an upfront contract to propose next steps at the beginning of the call, not at the end. Number three, use the rule of two when you hit a tough objection, which sounds something like, hey, typically when people tell me X, it usually means one of two things. And then number four, Ask for permission before the hard questions. If somebody's saying, yeah, I got to go talk to my team, ask them, hey, do you mind if I ask you a really hard question? And then ask, honestly, if, if, if you didn't have a team, would you buy? Nick, those are our takeaways. How can people help us out? Well, we've given you guys 20 plus episodes here and we think we're hitting the mark with content, but we like to hear from guests. So send us a LinkedIn message and let us know what your favorite episode was and what content you'd like to see from 30 Minutes to President's Club so we can better tailor the type of guests we bring on, topics for the show, etc. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes.